0: welcome to control the controllables my name is john mcgahan from max tennis academy in ireland and i'm here with my co-host dan kiernan from soto tennis in spain together we have created a podcast bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together we hope you enjoy our next episode
1: Welcome to episode 34 of Control the Controllables. Today we have former National Irish coach, Paul Casey. Anyone that knows tennis in Ireland knows the Casey family. Very famous tennis family with lots of success on the playing side and also the coaching side. Paul brings a real straight talking honesty to the podcast. Uh, lots Lots of lessons to take away um, lots of ideas for how things can be done different, certainly in Irish tennis, but I believe also can be transferred into many nations around the world. Sit back and enjoy the show, guys. Here's Paul. So, Paul Casey, welcome. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks very much for having me, Dan. I'll be looking forward to this one. I've listened to all your other past podcast i'm very honored to be included in uh,
1: that list i hope i make the air now after you edit it. <laughs> no, no well it's, it's nice to hear you've been listening to them it's been it's been a lot of fun doing them that's for sure you know and just you know reconnecting connecting with with new people and just talking tennis so I'm i'm, I'm really looking forward to today paul getting to know you a little bit better as well i know yeah. that i know that you do some work with my co-host john mcgann so he's He's let me to it on, on this occasion. I don't know if maybe he's got too much dirt on you that he, he can't talk with you today.
0: <laughs> he probably does. You, you, you wouldn't be far wrong there.
1: Or, or is it the other way around?
0: Uh, well, it's a bit of both. It's a little bit of both, so we keep it all
1: quiet, you know? Okay. Uh, so, so, yeah, So as, as we've been doing, Paul, on these podcasts, I think it's, it's, been, it's been great to hear people's tennis journeys really. Obviously like, tennis is all of our passions and our loves and it's, it's brought us all into the different positions that we're in. So where did it start for you when you were growing up? Uh, really started because my mom and dad, um, we
0: lived up in class Neven and they built a little club uh, for the residents and they had hard courts. The residents all had a key. So we could go down and open it up whenever we want and lock up. Now, no floodlights, nothing fancy, just four ports. Yeah. So my mum and dad started off, myself, Owen and Connor, and, and my two sisters would kind of just hang around the club, hitting against the wall, talking to people. And we went from there. That's where it all started, a little uh, community club.
1: And, and we're all fa- so were all five of you, I mean, obviously with that, I guess all five of you got into tennis Did at that point? Um,
0: myself, my second brother Connor and my third brother Owen, yes, we got into it major. Um, my two sisters ended up hating it because we were more successful than them. So they'd have to spend all week going to tournaments because... Uh, we didn't have a child minor back then, so yeah. they ended up actually not liking tennis too much. Yeah, yeah. But uh the three brothers loved it,
1: yeah. Which often happens, I think, and it's I think I was talking to someone the other day on this as well. It's like it's quite it's the uns, the unseen difficulties of the sport of like of, of yeah. almost breaking families up or because it is you go to a tournament, it's not exactly turn up at three o'clock and be done by four thirty. It's correct. The, the poor yeah. siblings that, that don't get to do it. Um, and so, tell us a little bit about your brothers, then as well. So the three of you all played to a good level.
0: Yeah, um, we all played a decent level. We played the tournaments. Um, we went round uh, different parts of the country to would just play the competitions because they were week-long competitions back then. Yeah, and. I achieved a decent level, my second brother Connor, he kind of fell out of it a little bit in his junior days for the same reason that myself and Owen were so good yeah. and he, he would have been decent alright but maybe not as good as us so he yeah. ended up not playing as many tournaments and later on then in his later teen years he hardly played any tournaments at all, whereas care. myself and Owen, we would have still been playing. Yeah.
1: And what's the age difference between you? Um, I'm
0: three years three years older than Connor and four years older than Owen. Right. With three or four years, I actually, I couldn't be, I'm not, on, uh, not 100% sure, but it's not that big an age gap. Five years is
1: up. So Owen, Owen, I guess, had the advantage. I always think I'm the third boy. Quite often when you're the third boy, you get, you get the advantage of that early competition. And I guess or- Orn went on to be a very good player, right?
0: Eh? Yeah, well, that's... Like I often tell people that like, he was very driven. and But for sure, having the two older brothers early on, when he might have been 6, 7, and 8, 9, 10, he would have benefited from playing with my parents or playing with myself and Connor and to support that he would have had out at the tournaments because I would have been there at the same same like tournaments I might have been playing under 16 he'd have been playing under 12 but yeah. like we were hanging out together like the same tournaments yeah so yes that would have made a fair amount of difference to how far he got
1: yes and how and how did it how was it for the family when Cause he went to he went to three olympics is that right
0: Yes, yes, you we won three Olympics, uh, Seoul, Atlanta and Barcelona. So, well, we're very proud of him. obviously. I don't think they showed it on the TV. I think there might have been highlights at one of them, but uh, RTE weren't exactly sending the cameras over like, to watch a tennis match. So, like, We didn't get to see him play, but it was a massive honour. Um, so, yes, incredible achievement. Yeah,
1: amazing experience as well. And a, little, a little bit that I know about Irish tennis. I've I've been over for the the Fitzwilliam event. Obviously, how we've worked with some of the, the Irish boys, particularly the Bothwells. And I mm-hmm. came over one year for the Irish National Championships. So mm-hmm. Tell me about that event and what what that means, how that's developed. Oh, that's well? the
0: that's the only tournament. Back in my early days, with coach I used to go to loads of tournaments with my players. And later on, then I said, right, like, I'm just going to go to Fitzwilliam because Fitzwilliam was like the Wimbledon of Ireland. Like everybody gets nervous. Everybody wants to perform. It's the last tournament of the year. You're supposed to have worked all year towards this tournament. So everybody, especially the seeds, get real nervous and tight. My first three years, that didn't happen. The guy I played, uh, first year under 12, I played a chap called Michael Ferguson. He would have been number one seed. He's from Belfast. I think he's from Belfast. Uh, Fantastic player. Beat me love and love half eight on a Sunday morning on court one. So I was out of the tournament by quarter past nine. Year two, my first year under 14, I played Michael Ferguson in the first round at half eight on a Sunday morning. Same court, same score, love and love. And then year three, my second year on the 14, I played Michael Ferguson, who was still number one seed at half eight on Sunday morning on the same court, and he beat me love and love again. So that was my first free uh, experience of Fitzwilliam. I worked hard. I took it on board. I didn't give up. Um, and I eventually beat Michael, I think, when Michael was about 16 or 17. Okay. I think I beat him once. So fantastic tournament, a lot of pressure. And it's where you can really see how mentally tough or how they play the game of tennis when the stress hits. Yeah, because yeah. everybody really gets, like, really stressed out. Like Fitzwilliam. Especially the parents as well. Like, yeah. the parents are just as funny to watch.
1: Is it as... A couple of questions. Has Michael been si- seen since? I'll <laughs> okay. tell after the three love and loves to then lose to you a couple of years later, has he disappeared off the planet or is he still around in the tennis world?
0: I think he's still around. Um, the last I heard of Michael, um, I met him in Fitzwilliam a couple of years back, and his son was very good. And okay. he was talking about taking him out to Spain because there wasn't enough uh, matches or competition.
1: You went. You were at U.S. college back in the day. Yes. 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 Uh...
0: I was originally supposed to go to Georgia Southern in Savannah, Georgia, but uh, arrived there at Easter. The coach got back late from a road trip, so something happened, so I wasn't able to register. Yep. So he knew a coach at a junior college in the north of Alabama, gets the State Junior College. So I went up there in Easter of 1982 or 83, right. and I was there for two years. Uh, we got to number 11 nationally we made nationals like we finished 11th the first year we finished the 13th second year so I won't say it was an enjoyable experience um, with the coach like back then they used to come over to Ireland and they'd stay with us like at our house or at different players houses so they invited us over to England to to you know, play some tournaments one Easter so, so that was my only international exposure apart from the what would be back then the, the Cup de Sol which would be in the European Junior Championships where Germany and France and Sweden and Spain all the top boys were there so I hadn't seen anything apart from that so I went to the States really wanting to be a pro tennis player right over okay. uh, I did reasonably well like in matches like I had a winning record uh, I didn't see anybody outstanding so I figured I was just as good as everybody else Yeah. so um, I didn't really see the the different levels on till I went to Japan and I played a couple of pro tournaments over there and I certainly noticed wow okay this is a different uh, level of tennis altogether. Okay. but that i never seen before so
1: and, and yeah. now that you're a coach and obviously you've been a coach for a good few years how how important do you think that exposure to to international tennis is for coaches and do you think it happens enough with Irish coaches
0: well first of all it's absolutely massive in terms of learning you learn yeah. so much more from watching tournament play and like from getting to know your own player as well as seeing other players who do things better, do things differently, seem to hit the ball a different way. You, you can only learn that from actually travelling and hanging out at tournaments all day, all night, there from six in the morning to the evening. And it's so important for the coaches and the players, like if you can get the players out there as well, yeah, uh, that's even more like beneficial. Um, one of the things, though, that that I do think is important, that if you're going to a tournament, that you go to a good tournament. Yeah. There's grade fives and there's grade ones. And yeah. you go to grade five, you're going to feel pretty good, like I did when I was a junior. Like, yeah, yeah. If you play grade five, you're going to think, oh, I can be a pro. Yeah, and yeah. you're never going to do it because you believe you're pretty good. Would well, you go to a grade one and you're going to have a choice to make? Do I want to work hard to get there, or no nah, that's just way too difficult for me yeah yeah so absolutely vital you're like travel is 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 people don't think it's as important now they can watch it on television or they can get on Facebook, but you've got to like you've got to feel the atmosphere, feel the tension, you've got to see people. Off court, on court. It's not just about the match on court. It's all the stuff that goes around to make that performance possible. And you don't see Irish kids in the grade fives here warming up or skipping or warming down. They do absolutely nothing like what they're talking to their buddies and what they're called to go on court. They don't even mentally prepare. Whereas when you go to a grade one, they're there skipping, they're stretching. They're showing off, for want of a better word, yeah, yeah. and they're like a tiger, just ready to get on court. And it's that off court that sends a message to the person they're going to go on court with. So it's all show. And when I used to travel with with the Irish kids on purpose out to the big tournaments, a lot of the boys wouldn't make too many comments, but the girls would say something like, "Oh, she's a right bitch." Oh, she's another bitch look at her yeah. and, and and like I turn to them and say oh, bitch. oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh she thinks she's all that yeah yeah and uh, like I'd be laughing I said what yeah. <laughs> she thinks she's great what makes you say that look at her stretching and doing the splits and kick like she's showing off I said yeah that's what it's about yeah so they don't see it in Ireland
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I had a, Paul, we had an Irish lad who, I won't name names, but he, he came to the academy. Dad, a lovely kid, lovely kid. Dad was a lovely fella. And his dad was desperate for him to then come and join the academy for at least a year or, you know, come and come and see it and just try and raise the awareness and level a little bit. And and he said, um, we were actually coming over to Ireland for the ITFs that summer. So his dad said, look, what might be quite nice is if he joins he joins your team, you know, for two or three weeks. Great, get to know them, see if it's going to work before September. And the lad actually said, I'm, I can't do that because all my mates will take the piss out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: That's what he, yeah. said. he yeah. said.
1: And when 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 I asked him a little bit more, he said, if I'm there and I'm doing – all of this warm-ups and I'm doing that and I'm do, you know, doing a base, basically what he said is if I'm professional, I'll get laughed at. Yep. So hundred
0: percent, hundred percent spot, spot on.
1: So, spot. so how, why is it like that? Let's get to, to the nitty gritty here. What islands an amazing <laughs> country. It's got, <laughs> it's got some fantastic tennis coaches. It's got some fantastic people. Yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why is it like that?
0: number of reasons. Um, We don't have a national coach, nobody coordinating things, nobody looking after coaches, Um, we've definitely no high performance um, director or somebody that's kind of trying to train the coaches that mightn't see us how to do things a little bit more intensely and to get the job done. Yeah. The courts will be another issue. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, well, coach education in courts would be the main thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, players, if the coaches are doing a good job, I'm not saying they're not doing a good job, but, uh, like, if you haven't seen it, like, you can't be it. So, Likewise with the coaches, if there's nobody showing them what they need to do to get players to a high level and they don't then have players in their club that play to a high level. Yeah. Then you can't get other juniors to aspire to a high level. Yeah. So, we don't seem to think along those lines, I don't think. Because there's never been a national coach to try to coordinate everything into a, a joined-up way of thinking about how we're going to approach it. Like a national identity, like etc. Et so... That would be the main reasons.
1: Because you, you were national coach for a while, is that correct?
0: A national coach, but back then it wasn't the The national coach description was more for the coach that worked with, with the national squads, with the top squads. Yeah. Uh, so our brief was more working with the players, with the best players from with the different provinces they'd come up to Dublin they'd train for a weekend and then they'd go back home yeah. it wasn't the national coaching role where like, we called all the coaches in we showed them what we were working on how we were working on why we were working on it and then they went home and and did it with their players it was more just we worked with our players and that was the role
1: right okay and if you if I did have the power, I don't, but if I did, if I had the power to put you in charge, uh-huh. how, how w- would you change the coaching infrastructure? Um, yeah. What, uh, what sort of uh, things would you change?
0: Well, what's Okay, well, the first thing would be like to get all the coaches together and just explain uh, how I view the game of tennis. And... Yeah. Uh, physical would be one thing like back in my days in, in like the and indoors like when I ran my own centre like you are do now out in Soto well, uh, the physical end was huge to sort through the kids that wanted it and didn't want it yeah. so I'm a massive believer in, in not just that physical work is necessary to be a top tennis player but it's necessary to sort out the kids that really want it and the kids that don't want it yeah.
1: from so, what age Paul from what age what, from uh, what age do you think that's a, a good barometer uh, the physical end of it yeah so I, I you know so using yeah. the physical in that way at what mm-hmm. age do you see do you think you can start to predict whether someone wants it or not
0: predict if they want it or not oh in, in, a,
1: li- in, li- in line with the physical point that you made there
0: like well I used to use a simple one of skipping so like there'd be a couple of simple skips then push ups and sit ups like a couple of exercises yeah. like when they were very young like I'm not talking about that they'd be going to a gym like that won't happen until they're 16 17, 18
2: yeah.
0: but just their willingness to do the stuff nobody likes skipping nobody likes doing push ups nobody likes doing sit ups nobody likes doing a couple of stretches so if if they were prepared to do that at a young age and reach a certain level at skipping, not just to, yeah. there'd be measures, then there was a fair chance if they kept improving and if everything stayed the same, they'd still be there when they were later. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: But if they weren't prepared to try to skip for five minutes like without missing, then there wasn't much hope for them as a tennis player in my mind. Okay.
1: Yeah. So and and Paul what what is the current vision for Irish tennis from the from those at the at the top
0: there is none as far as i can see there is none as far as i know and i'm immersed in the game of tennis in ireland and like i speak with coaches all over the place and there is there is no vision right now there is no vision of how we're going to bring the tennis forward yeah, it's an, absolute, it's an absolute mess. I've no idea who's in charge, or I certainly haven't had a phone call. I'll tell you that, so I don't know what's going on, right? Okay, but that in itself yeah. says a lot. We don't have a plan, we've never had a plan. But the last time we nearly had a plan was when Evo Van Aiken came in. Uh, back in 2000 he started off with the original national academy which was supposed to grow into a place where children would go to university they'd stay in ireland they'd train in ireland they'd go abroad to play tournaments so they wouldn't necessarily have to go to america uh for a tennis scholarship yeah. but none of that
1: happened Right. Okay. So, so do they need, there's a couple of things I guess from the outside that I see, Paul, I think, I think I mentioned this to Connor and John actually during that, during the podcast. So sorry to those that are listening again, but one thing that blows my mind or has blown my mind over the years is how much the hourly rate for coaching is in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. So then why would a tennis coach get paid up to a hundred euros an hour? Why, why would these coaches go as an example, go to tournaments at a weekend? Uh, You know, you can go to a tournament at a weekend, pay for your own petrol, get there, probably get shouted at by a parent because you're watching one kid and not watching their kid, or you can go and do six hours and make four, 500, 600 euros. And then spend the afternoon with your family, you know, and and that's that would be something that seems. And again, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn on this, but uh-huh. it seems mm-hmm. it seems that 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 culture is quite strong in Ireland. That it's like you know, I, even I take the boys that I know that they, they get paid 50, 60 euros an hour. They're not tennis mm-hmm. coaches. they've they've, they've never. You know I I've been a tennis coach for years and years and years and I can't pull in some of those figures. You know, mm. whereas it it feels as if it's such an e- almost an easy an easy job to fall into where all of a sudden young lads are making some decent money. So 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 once you fall into that trap of, of making that money as a as a young coach, I'm not convinced that you then have the hunger to really, as we know, you've you've developed lots and lots of players over the year, Paul. Years, Paul. It takes it takes graft. <laughs> it oh, yeah. takes it takes almost obsession, you know, yeah. obsession to kind of you know. So is is that ever going to change? I guess. And and where and and how does that change?
0: Well, the price of the lessons. Uh, me myself, like I don't charge anywhere near that. Um. The the I didn't get involved in coaching to make money. I got involved in coaching to make tennis players. And like I would have started off as a level one, probably making fifteen euro an hour, then two and three. Um. So money was never the reason I got involved in tennis. Now I'm sure the. Level 1 coaches are charging between €25 and €30 an hour. And as far as I know, their description is they're only supposed to be working with beginner juniors and beginner adults. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of control on the coaches in Ireland. So you'll find people in clubs for example, who would think that they're a beginner so they don't need a good coach so they'll go to a level one coach. Yeah. So all of a sudden a level one coach has of because he's quite cheap. Yeah, yeah. So, um, who controls the pricing? I don't think it can be regulated by law. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: so, but I would, uh, it would more be the clubs, it would be up to the clubs like to try to if they wanted to set a uh, well, a price structure, I'd like to try and control it.
1: Yeah, but or, I, I think my point, though, Paul, is not so much about my point not so much about what that as such. It's more how how do does Irish tennis get more people that are like yourself, like a John McGann, who 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 are in it for the right reasons? Because if okay, hmm. we've got that, and we can talk about this as well, but Astroturf courts, yep, absolutely Mm -hmm. makes a massive difference. Mm -hmm. However, if you have enough hungry people that Mm -hmm. are that are that are desperate to develop some tennis players, where there's a will, there is a way. And and if we're being brutally honest, there hasn't been much that's come out, you know, for the last for the last good few years, Um, you know, and 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 I think it's. It's it's how that maybe how that whole culture potentially potentially changes would be a thought from afar, not necessarily specific to yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well now that you rephrase a little bit differently, there um, the the we the people who are massively involved, like myself, like uh, my brother Owen, like my brother Connor, like John, Stephen, Eugene, all these guys, most of the uh, the passionate coaches i know they were ex like players
2: yeah.
0: um i don't think we have that many players out now on tour and becoming a tennis coach with the way tennis coaches are treated here it's not it's not really a great option in terms of 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 like career choice yeah. unless you're just absolutely in love with the game of tennis and to uh, yeah but well, you're so focused you want to do it. So I don't think a, a a tennis coach's lifestyle, like I certainly wouldn't be encouraging my children to become a tennis coach because it's just too, too unreliable, too unstructured. Yeah. Uh, there's no like, career pathway as such. Yeah. It's, it's very open-ended. So... You know, like if I had a known back when I started off as a tennis coach and the life I was gonna end up having. Okay, yeah. I love the life, but uh financial uncertainty due to weather, due to injury, due to whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's not as good as having a nine to five job and you're getting your tax insurance, medical and everything else paid.
1: Yeah, I know, that's it. A- so in Ireland, is everybody pretty much self-employed? Coaches?
0: Yes, everybody's self-employed. Everybody's self-employed. Yeah. So well, that's the problem. Yeah. It's not a career pathway like a doctor, where you work for a uh, or like for a hospital or a lawyer that works for a law firm. Yeah. You're basically the whim of a committee, who changes every year. They don't know anything about the game of tennis, but yes they'll make the coaches operate a certain way and they have ideas and everything else. There's no respect for coaches. That would sum it all up. There's very little respect for you know, tennis coaches.
1: Yeah. Do you think that's an Irish thing or do you think that's a global thing? I'd say it's pretty much global. How, how well do you know the, the, the British coaching structure set up? Not very well, I'll have to be honest if there was one bit that you would take from that to move to move to Ireland, what would it be? But I guess I remember the
0: the Rover squads and I remember the Adidas squads and um, the one thing that that the LTA has done over the years is uh, they've tried to get some top people in to yep. uh, to reorganise them. Yep. like Louis Kai is the latest, I believe. Yeah, uh, like you've had a few others, but you are seeking to get in expert opinions, expert minds on how to change it and make things better. Whereas in Ireland, we don't seem to do that. Might be because we don't have a lot of money, but if we had a little bit of money, I think that would be a good investment.
1: We've, we've, we've skirted around it, but as been mentioned, court surface. Yeah. Um, is that on the way to change? Any chance of change, um, and what's the effects of not changing it?
0: Okay, well the effects of not changing it are is we're not going to develop people who can actually play the game of tennis and hit the ball properly mm. and learn the tactics, like etc. 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 How it's changing now, everybody. Well, I won't say everybody they're starting to get the artificial clay courts. So what I presume will start happening, just like it happened with the Astro, all the other clubs will start like putting in the artificial clay courts, which is a lot better than the AstroTurf. Yeah. So that's going to take, though, an awful lot of years because... A lot of the clubs only recently have been installing um, the Astra stuff. So they're not going to be ripping them up for another 10, 15 years at least. So that's going to be a while. That's going to be a while down the road.
1: for For those listening, Paul, imagine someone's listening who doesn't really know a whole lot about higher level tennis. Mm-hmm. Why Why is AstroTurf so bad for development of tennis players? Uh, the
0: ball skids, you don't have enough time on the ball. The, the reaction to spin is completely different. A side spin, back spin will just knife and die on you. Whereas on a... Real hard court, it'll sit up a bit more, so we give more time. A top spin is an absolute must, yep. and hitting flats also a must. But it's more about long rallies, long rallies. You got to work the point because there's no quick winners. It's really hard to hit a winner on a real court. Whereas in Ireland on the Astro, it's more the people who hit the ball late, a little bit of side spin ball going left and right out towards the sideline, serves are like slapped down with a bit of backspin. So it's not like conducive to learning how to play a point, structure a point, the rally phase. You don't see much rally phase in Ireland, I'll tell you that.
2: No.
0: So it's really ruining the game, like in my opinion. And if nothing's done about it, it's not going to change for a long time.
1: And why do they have them? I guess they have them because of the weather?
0: Well, originally they brought them in because it was softer on the joints. Okay. That was the, the original reason that uh, most of the members in clubs are in their 40s. At least they were in their 40s and 50s and 60s. and It was supposed to be easier on their hips and knees. Yeah. So I'm not... I don't think it was, it was so much about the weather. It might have, has an influence on it, but it's just every club wants to have the same course. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to be different. Like it's like that chap that came out to you didn't want to be different, Like didn't want to stick out. So then the people in charge of making the decisions are the committees who don't know anything about tennis anyway. So they're not going to listen to the coach like if he recommends the surface.
1: Yeah. You know? was, Dave, was David? Was David? Because David Mullins was there for a little bit of time. He seemed to seem to be thinking a little bit more along those lines. Was he not able to have an impact?
0: Yeah, he left too soon, though. Right. Uh, Dave got a lot of things. You know, like started, and then he went off to you know, like a better job in uh, the States, as you know. It was great to have him because he had played to a high level. He was a college coach in America. You know. He'd seen it all over there. He'd seen the high level of tennis. So he would have been a person like myself. He was great to have in there. Except unfortunately, he never got to finish what he started. So
1: yeah. that's, the, that's a shame. It's a shame nobody's yeah. taken over that mantle, really.
0: Yes, yes, yes. It is. It really is. It's well, been the breaking of Irish tennis, I'll tell you
1: that. Do you, do you think it's worse now than five years ago, ten years ago? Do you think it's ever a decline? Than five or ten years ago?
0: No, n- it was probably just as bad. Okay. Uh, like, it's worse now than uh, back when I was a junior, like, or I was a player, or well, back when I started coaching. But nothing's progressed at the same speed as mobile phones or cars or the internet or apps like we seem to be uh, like stuck in a time warp okay
1: and what about um obviously it was quite high profile when dave miley was dave miley was trying to uh, yeah. come back come back into irish tennis and obviously yeah. dave, dave's got uh, a international experience you know mm-hmm. which side which side of the fence do you fall on that well uh, well i campaign heavily for dave I like I put my
0: uh, my head in the chopping block I didn't get a lot of support either but Dave would have that was a serious opportunity missed a serious opportunity missed I can't like I could talk for hours about how but that was a real just couldn't couldn't believe that decision like like how, any, how anybody and people tried to justify to me Oh, they weren't looking for the coach. They were looking for an administrator. Sure, he was an administrator. Like they tried to justify it, but whatever way they tried, having none of it. He was a big up- Like we talked about Dave Mullins a minute ago. Yeah. With, with Dave Miley, uh, it would have been Dave. What uh, Dave Mullins by a hundred. Right. No respect to Dave Mullins now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, but the contacts and the knowledge and the influence and. The, the network and getting sponsors in and we missed we miss we like i don't know just 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 the worst the worst decision ever ever
1: what would he what would he have brought i know you said about the sponsors the contact what di- what, do you, what direction do you think he would have taken it he
0: he could have taken well he could have taken it in any direction he wanted Brought in a person to train the coaches, or brought in another person with the judicial job. Like he knew it all. So he could have, and he's Irish, and he knows the people involved in Irish tennis, which is also important. So he knows all the players. Yeah. So he could have taken us to the next three levels up, I think. Just with his expertise from being a coach, first of all, when he started out, he was a player at the start, just like me and you. So he was in the game, passionate, obviously. So how can you not employ a person like that?
1: And do you think the door the door will ever be open for that to happen again?
0: I'd say if he wanted the job. He might. I've no idea. He's, he's involved in FIFA and I know he was very disappointed at the rejection. Uh, because if I had it being him, I'd have felt pretty confident I was going to get the job in my home country. Like a hometown boy. that yeah. I made it on a world stage. Often to come back and help his country. Yeah. So it'd be great to have him back if he wanted to come back. Because I think there'd be a lot more support from him now.
1: And what's next for Paul Casey? Next for Paul Casey. <laughs> yeah. Next for Paul Casey
0: is just um like a club coach now. Uh that have a couple of good little players. Um what what I'd really like to do is I'd like to be getting involved like with John, and I'd like to have an indoor center again, like I used to have yeah and uh, with John, as you know, like myself and John, we work together, we've known each other a long time, and he's got the youth and the the with the passion yeah. like I have the passion, so like I'd love a few of my ex students that. I've made a couple of million out in the CEO world. If they just if they throw in a couple of grand and they build myself and John an indoor centre and uh, yeah. we'll see what we can do. So, if that doesn't happen, I reckon I'll just be a club coach now. That's all I can do. So,
1: And, and in terms of, if we were to go kind of quick fire, three, three things that are going to improve Irish tennis so three the main three things we you you can influence three things over the next three to five years mm-hmm. to, to make ireland is it going to be the powerhouse no that's not the first aim but the aim is to be to be a country that is regularly producing a streamline of of international level juniors that are going on to division one scholarships or going into the going into the, the ATP and WTA rankings, you know, yep. pushing along, pushing the Davis Cup teams along and pushing the Fed yep. Cup teams along and becoming a, a recognised tennis nation. What what three things are non-negotiable for yourself?
0: Okay, first we need indoors. Yes. Look like at hard courts, obviously. And second thing, a lot more matches, a lot more tournament matches. We need to take the, the, the juniors away to see what's out there, to see the other levels. Yeah. Uh, then the appointment of a national coach to knock heads together and we'll to point out how we're going to do things.
1: Great. Well, there, there you have it, folks. It's, uh, it all seems very sensible to me. Um, Paul, it's been, it's been great to, to meet you, actually, and to catch up and to, you know to, to talk a little bit of Irish tennis with you today. So a big, big thank you for your time. I
2: hope
1: hope people listen. I hope, you know, one thing that I have to tip my hat to you is your your honesty, your straight talking, you know, and I think change doesn't happen without that, you know. So so a big big thank you for that, and I I hope that it opens up some other conversations, if possible.
0: Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure again. Many thanks for, for inviting me on. Your podcasts, I think, are so important because I don't think we get the chance to have these, what, these type of chats in the past anyway. like what, To hear all of the different ideas about so many different things, it's been really educational. So well, well done to yourself and John. You've done a fantastic job. Best of luck with Soto Academy. I know the Irish players absolutely love it out there. Hopefully someday like, I'll get to come over with one of my players and, and like, greet you personally. So, continued success. Take care. Thanks very much, man.
1: Oh, man. Thanks a lot, Paul. Like I say, I, ho- I hope this conversation opens up a few more conversations and, you know, there's, there's a lot of great people in Ireland and I'm sure people get their heads together. There's a lot of great things that can happen. So, all the best to you and all the best to, to tennis in Ireland. Take care.
0: Thanks, Dan. Cheers, man. Thanks, Bye-bye. Paul, thank you.
1: A big thank you to Paul for his time and his straight talking honesty. Uh, every time I speak to someone about Irish tennis, you know, there seems like there's an unbelievable amount of passionate people. Um, I really do hope that everyone can get their heads together over the next few months um, and start moving forward in a, in a more, more collective, collective way. Um, because I know that great things can great things can happen. Um, and, and it, like as I said in the podcast I hope this podcast can open up other conversations so a big thank you to Paul and as always a big thank you to you guys uh, this is our last podcast until our mental health awareness week I know some of you will be listening to, listening to this down the line but if you are one of our loyal subscribers who, who are jumping on listening to it as soon as this comes out As of tomorrow, we'll be having six or seven podcasts back-to-back on bringing awareness to mental health in tennis. Uh, Some amazing guests to to come up, and I I promise you some stories you need to listen to. It spreads further than than just the tennis world, so please feel free to keep sharing with friends, colleagues, people in other other fields um, to get these really strong messages out. A big thank you from myself and John, as always. Uh, We massively appreciate the support. And as I always say, the ratings, the reviews make a big difference. So that's it for me. My name is Dan Kiernan. My co-host is John McGann, and we are Control the Controllables.